Greetings, everybody out there in Dreamland. Namaste and Shalom. Iron sharpens iron, and a friend sharpens a friend. Hope you guys just heard that plane flying very low and buzzing over the recording space I'm currently in because I'm broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas, and we are going to be bringing to you, or at least I'm going to be bringing to you the Royal We, me, myself, and I, as a solo project, we are going to be bringing you the, I guess you would call it, uh, article, a chronicle of very famous Texas UFO incidences, close encounters of the Lone Star Kind. This is an article that I found written on, written in Texas Monthly, and I found it online while doing some research, and I thought, you know, it was so well written, why not just read it to you guys? Because while it, I was doing research for the exact same subject that the article is written on, a chronicle of famous and influential Texas based uh, UFO encounters, UFO abductions, UFO incidences, crashes, etc. And so, doing my research, I found this article, and it's like, you know, it said everything that I wanted to say, but in, you know, far superior words, I can only, only estimate. And this was written in Texas Monthly. This is a monthly publication in Texas. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. But it's written in the culture section, Close Encounters of the Lone Star Kind, written by Pamela Koloffs. Pamela Koloff. In 1973, when Palacios Mayor W.C. Jackson invited extraterrestrials to visit Texas, no one has ever made these fellas welcome, he told reporters. His hospitality came almost a century too late. Long before anyone had heard of Roswell, flying saucers were first spotted in Texas in 1878, according to local legend, and first touched down here in 1897. In fact, Texas can boast of having some of the most compelling evidence ever uncovered of alien visitors, such as Aurora's crash site. Lubbock's mysterious lights or Dayton's close encounters. Texas has also bred its share of peculiar UFO devotees, such as Heaven's Gate's leader, Marshall Applewhite, who was born in Spur and had his first spiritual visits, vision while walking along a Galveston beach, as well as some members of the Republic of Texas who reportedly believe that the Marfa lights are proof of a subterranean energy grid that the Pentagon is trying to tap into with alien technology. MUFON, the world's largest UFO investigation organization, is based in Texas, as is NASA, which oversees an intergalactic radio signal monitoring program called SETI, or the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. 1878, Denison, Texas. Thanks to a long-forgotten 19th century farmer named John Martin, unidentified flying objects were first described as saucers here in Texas. According to an article, a strange phenomenon that appeared in the Denison Daily News on January 25, 1878. 
Martin was hunting when he saw a dark object high in the northern sky. The news account states that the peculiar shape and velocity with which the object seemed to approach riveted his attention, and he strained his eyes to discover its character. When first noticed, it appeared to be the size of an orange, after which it continued to grow larger. After gazing at it for some time, the article continues, Mr. Martin became blind for long looking and left of viewing to his rest of his eyes. I guess that's how they talked in 1878. After gazing at it for some time, the article continues, Mr. Martin became blind for from long looking and left of viewing to rest his eyes. On resuming his view, the object was almost overhead and had increased considerably in size and appeared to be going through space at a wonderful speed. When directly over him, it was about the size of a large saucer, and it was evidently at a great height. This mother, this thing must have been huge. Although Martin clearly saw a saucer, Idaho pilot Kenneth Arnold is widely and incorrectly credited as the first person to describe an unidentified flying object as such. Arnold ushered in the post-war wave of UFO hysteria in 1947 when he told a local reporter and in turn the Associated Press, a Rothschild-owned um, news agency, as we've already covered, that he had seen an object in the sky over Washington's Cascade Mountains that flew like a saucer would if you skipped it across the water. Arnold's account coined the term flying saucer, not for the shape, but for the manner of flight, which resembled a skipping saucer over water, a skipping stone over water. If anyone skipped a stone, that beloved pastime of youth, of just throwing rocks in a fucking lake, <laughs> that if you've actually ever watched that happen, you know that it kind of glides and uses the surface tension to propel it. And it was like the mannerisms of a saucer skipping over the surface of the water. Arnold's account coined the term flying saucer, though the honor rightly belongs to Texan John Martin, who had spotted one 69 years earlier. 1883, Marfa, Texas. According to Apache legend, the ghostly flashes of light that appear in the night sky of the West Texas are incarnations of the wandering spirit of Apache Chief Alaste, who has hunted the Chineta Mountains since his execution at the hands of the Mexican rurals in the 1860s. White settlers first noticed these lights now known as the Marfa Mystery Lights in 1883 when rancher Robert Ellison was driving his cattle a few miles east of Marfa. He and his companions spotted flickering lights along the horizon and feared that they were Apache campfires. But when they searched the area the next day, they found no traces of encampments. Since that time, people have locked to what is now Route 90, nine miles east of Marfa, to try and spot the lights which have appeared in white, pink, yellow, green, and blue hues to the east of the Chinata Mountains. Sometimes the lights dance erratically, while other times they remain motionless, slowly brightening with intensity. 
Skeptics believe that the lights and are simply car headlights skimming across the mountains, but that would not explain sightings of the last century or the fact that lights often move in circles or zigzag formations. Others have argued that the lights are nothing more than ball lightning, reflections, mirages, swamp gas, or static electricity, but scientists have been able to prove that all of these phenomenon could not happen in West Texas terrain with such regularity. According to local folklore, the lights are believed to be many things. At last a spirit, the reflections of Spanish gold, the hidden treasures of Pancho Villa, brujas, Spanish for witches, which are learning to fly, and most recently, UFOs. 1897, Aurora, Texas. On April 17, 1897, six years before the first plane was flown by the Wright brothers, an airship visited Aurora, Texas. After having been spotted sporadically in the Midwest, the illuminated, cigar-shaped craft was next seen in North Texas, first in Denton, then in Weatherford, Corsicana, and Stephenville. The editor of the Stephenville newspaper claimed that the airship hovered so close to the town that he was able to yell out a request for an interview, which the extraterrestrial pilot denied. Moving on to Aurora, the airship reportedly circled the, circled the town square, crashed into a windmill, and then exploded, leaving behind the pilot's charred body and a note written in indecipherable hieroglyphics. According to an article published in the Dallas Morning News two days later, the pilot was thought to be a native of the planet Mars. Rumors of the airship persisted, and in 1973, a team of UFO buffs and television crews descended on Aurora to see if they could substantiate the story. Some Aurora elders claimed to remember the close encounter, while most of the town's 300 residents emphatically insisted that it was an old hoax designed to revive Aurora's declining fortunes. The incident may always remain a mystery, however, since a district court blocked an effort to exhume an Aurora grave that some believed to hold the pilot's body. According to local legend, the grave was marked only by a headstone bearing a cryptic insignia, several small circles drawn inside the Greek letter Delta. The stone has since disappeared. Stolen, no doubt, by the Smithsonian Institute. 1948, Laredo, Texas. Gossip circulated through the 1950s that several officers from an Air Force base near Laredo were instructed on July 7, 1948 to cordon off a remote strip of land where an extraterrestrial craft had crashed. Rumored to be a large disk, it had supposedly flown over Albuquerque at around 2,000 miles per hour before crashing into the West Texas desert, where it was then recovered by government agents. 2,000 miles per hour is uh, Mach 3. One variation of the story claimed that the badly burned inhabitant of the craft was significantly shorter in height than the average human and had unusually long arms. In 1978, a man claiming to be a former Air Force photographer sent reports and photos of a severely burned body inside some wreckage. Pictures that he claimed were he was instructed to take of a wrecked experimental craft outside of Laredo during the summer of 1948. The singed 
alien in the photo, quickly dubbed Tomato Man by the press because of its extremely large head, is probably a human pilot who was killed when his plane crashed and burned. The pilot's noticeable lack of hair and enlarged head are thought to be results of the crash. Government papers now indicate that the Air Force was experimenting at the time with V-2 rockets nicknamed Foo Fighters, hence the crashed experimental aircraft that the photographer was instructed to document. One unresolved question is whether the pilot was actually a man or a monkey. The latter would explain the rumor that the pilot was short in statue with extremely long arms. That's a complete bullshit cover story. Uh, V-2 rockets were not nicknamed Foo Fighters uh, ever, and Foo Fighters were not described as V-2 rockets, which are far different in design and um, and shape. Nor were they even confused with the with anything with the V program, V-1 or V-2. Um, and uh, the Air Force never tested with... Uh, chimpanzees that was a publicity stunt and it was absolutely to make a mockery out of uh, people to literally make a monkey out of them and it was to literally just uh, serve as kind of a public relations stunt to get kids and shit like that excited so they get more money uh, for NASA um, human space programs have been in existence since the 1920s and it is absolutely a um, breakaway civilization of human beings that does it. This is most likely the case. What we're seeing here is that um, it was extraterrestrial in nature or um, the damage done to a crashed human body, which is severely deformed, severely deformed at these G's. Um, and, and it's kind of hard to describe just how badly the body is destroyed and, you know, rearranged and shit after a high-speed aircraft crash. So, really, I mean, it's, it was also cremated. So, I mean, it's also burned by jet fuel or um, orbit reentry, which is possibly the most likely case. This guy had a long time to fall and burn. Exactly. My my um, theory for that one is Dark Fleet. It has something to do with the uh, Dark Fleet, not Waffen. When um, they were taken out either through a Tesla howitzer or a Tesla uh, cannon using uh, scalar waves, basically weaponized radar, and that they exactly they fried them and they, he basically fell at Mach 3 into the earth like a shooting star. nineteen fifty one Lubbock, Texas. Before Buddy Holly put Lubbock on the map, the Lubbock Lights gave this panhandle town national fame. On an August night in nineteen fifty one, several college professors sitting outside on a porch saw a formation of blue lights fly quickly overhead. They waited to see if the lights would return, and later that evening they observed the lights again. That same night, a Lubbock woman was also spotted the blue lights as she was taking her laundry off a clothesline. The lights, she later told Air Force investigators, framed the tail end of an enormous wing-like craft. 
A few days earlier, an employee of the Atomic Energy Commission saw the same type of aircraft in Albuquerque, a wing-shaped object with blue lights at its base. By the end of August, there was another sighting of the object in Matador, Texas, about 70 miles north of Lubbock, as well as photographs of the blue lights taken by Texas Tech freshman Carl Hart Jr. Before the lights disappeared two weeks later, Dozens of people in North Texas reported seeing blue lights darting from one end of the horizon to another. An investigation into the phenomenon for Project Blue Book, a 1950s and 1960s Air Force study into the possible existence of UFOs, came up with two explanations for the sightings. One theory was that the lights were plovers, West Texas birds, with shiny white breasts that could have reflected the city's glows they flew overhead. The fucking birds! The fuck said birds? Just because someone says something doesn't mean you have to repeat it. And I have to kind of always bring that point up when I'm reading UFO articles or UFO research. Just because some asshole said something doesn't mean it bears me fucking repeating. Like, oh, some asshole said it was birds. Well, fuck that guy. You know, fuck that idiot. Exactly. Oh, birds did it. No, oh, yeah, it was a, a birds flew over Laredo and a fucking college student and a guy who worked at the Atomic Commit Energy Commission both thought it was a UFO. <laughs> but no, this asshole said they saw birds. <laughs> so let's talk about what this asshole has to think because clearly this guy means more than the fucking two human beings who clearly you know, are rational and intelligent and saw and took photos of a UFO flying over Laredo. Yet this, that's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't bear fucking repeating. If, if you went to a murder trial and said, birds killed this man, did take this man off the court, uh, and hold this man for contempt of court or kick him out of my courtroom. Exactly. He's, but you have to listen to my theory about the birds. <laughs> Don't you know? I, I have a theory that debunks this murder. And it, exactly. It has no fucking validity or weight. You're an insane person. Uh, why should it? No one should ever listen to you or repeat what you have to say. But birds did it. <laughs> like. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to let you sit down and give, like, your presentation and hold up everyone's fucking time. Or anything that, even if the defense was like, yeah, we have an expert who said a bird killed this man. Who fucking cares? Exactly, it's not admissible. <laughs> the judge would overrule it. No, you denied. <laughs> denied. Same as actually a result of Lubbock's newly installed mercury vapor street lamps that gave off a bluish haze. Yeah, it was the fucking street lamps. Uh huh. The Atomic Energy Commission employee and the Texas Tech college student had never seen a fucking street lamp, I guess, because it's Texas, don't you know? What the fuck's a street lamp? We were just learning what electricity was. <laughs> it's only Texas Tech. They're assholes. They're not idiots. They're assholes. They're not idiots. <laughs> yeah. Neither of these explanations account for the light's immense speed or their sudden disappearance. No shit. 
No shit. There's no reason. <laughs> These are even plausibly deniable. Even plausible excuses. They're, they're not even in the fucking ballpark. They don't account for any of the factors of the sighting of the Laredo lights, which is exactly like the Phoenix lights, except they were able to bury it because of willful ignorance on the account of anyone who's actually heard the story or seen any of the evidence. And it's, like, clear that this was very early in the game, but UFOs were flying over major cities, major urban population centers, and just... The Air Force ultimately categorized the Lubbock Light sightings under the inconclusive heading Unidentified, making it one of the most famous and widely witnessed UFO incidences in history. 1957, Leveland, Texas. Not far from where the Lubbock Lights were seen years earlier, residents of Leveland, Texas reported 10 UFO-related incidents during the course of several hours on November 2, 1957. The first close encounter took place around 11 o'clock in the evening when farm workers Pedro Sotsito and Joe Salas saw a giant, brightly lit object fly over their truck. As it passed overhead, the truck's headlights and engine went dead resuming to normal only once the craft had disappeared. Sacito reported the incident to Leveland police, who received a call an hour later from a Leveland resident, Jim Wheeler, eight miles from the original report. Wheeler said that his engine and headlights had failed as he approached a brightly lit egg-shaped object in the road. Once the craft had ascended into the sky and disappeared, Wheeler was able to restart his engine. Sheriff Ware Klim and Deputy Pat McCulloch drove along Route 116 searching for the glowing object when finally at 1.30 a.m. they spotted an enormous egg-shaped craft that looked like a brilliant red sunset across the highway. According to Klim, it lit up the whole pavement in front of us for about two seconds, he said, and then it disappeared. Throughout the night, Leveland Police Department continued to receive calls describing a similar bright object that caused lights to dim and car engines to shut off. The Air Force investigated, speculating that the incidents were examples of ball lightning. However, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, the Air Force's primary UFO investigator at the time, recanted this conclusion in later writings. I am not proud today that I hastily concurred in Captain Gregory's evaluation as ball lightning as the explanation for the Loveland sightings. On the basis of information that an electrical storm had been in progress in the Loveland area at the time, that was shown not to be the case, wrote Hynek. Besides, I had given it any thought whatsoever, I would have soon recognized the absence of evidence of the ball lightning can stop cars and put out headlights. The Leveland sightings remain unexplained. He finishes. In 1975, Seguin, Texas. The world's largest UFO organization, the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, was originally founded in Illinois in 1969, after the Air Force abruptly ended Project Blue Book, its study of the possible existence of UFOs, continuing where Project Blue Book left off. MUFON went about researching, investigating, and compiling reports of UFO sightings in an attempt to resolve the question of whether or not UFOs exist. In 1975, 
MUFON relocated to Seguin, where it resumed documenting UFO sightings, alien abductions, crop circles, and animal mutilations throughout the world by using the organization's vast network of investigators. Now considered to be the preeminent UFO authority, MUFON hosts an international symposium each year, publishes its own magazine and 312-page investigator's manual, and is frequently called upon by writers from the X-Files and Unsolved Mysteries for script material. MUFON's charismatic 76-year-old founder, Walt Andrus, and the organization's vast resources such as museum filled with rare UFO photos, stacks of declassified government documents, and a database containing thousands of investigators' methodically researched reports have drawn everyone from German physicists to Hollywood producers to Seguin, Texas. 1980 Dayton, Texas. On the night of December 29, 1980, on a remote road, 40 miles outside of Houston, restaurant owner Betty Cash, her friend Vicki Landrum, and Landrum's 7-year-old grandson, Kobe, were returning home after a night out when a large, glowing, diamond-shaped aircraft spurting flames descended from the sky and hovered above the roadway in front of them. When they got out of the car to take a closer look at the object, which made a loud roaring noise, they were soon forced to return to the car because of the intense heat emanating from the craft. Cash claimed that as she gasped, or sorry, Cash claimed that as she grasped her car's hot door handle, her wedding ring burned into her hand. Soon thereafter, the mysterious aircraft flew away along with a swarm of black Chinook helicopters. Cash, who had remained outside the car longer than the Landrums, was admitted to a local hospital as a burn victim. All three passengers manifested different symptoms of what appeared to be radiation sickness such as burns, blisters, nausea, rashes, severe headaches, sore eyes, and hair and fingernail losses. Cash was later diagnosed with breast cancer, and Landrum developed severe cataracts. I've never believed in UFOs, Mrs. Cash later told reporters. I was the first one to laugh, but she added, I was terrified. Now I'm afraid to look up. Two theories swirled around the incident. Either the object was an experimental military device which had gone haywire on a test flight, or some speculated it was a recovered alien aircraft which the Air Force was trying to hide. Cash and Landrum hired a lawyer who filed suit against the government for $20 million in damages. The case dragged on in a district court for several years and called upon the testimony of officials from NASA, the Air Force, and the Army and Navy before being dismissed in 1986 because of no governmental agency owned or operated any aircraft fitting Cash and Landrum's description. To this day, there is no conclusive explanation of that night's events. My interpretation of that was they were able to weasel out of it because that wasn't a United States or even man-made aircraft. And 
they really were held to the fire, and it was almost a moment of disclosure where if they had, if the Landrums had uh, won this case, if Cash had won her case against the United States government for the damages that she was dealt, that she suffered, and for the, the pain and the cost of the injuries involved, because it was military malfeasance and military negligence that saw them try to reverse engineer and literally fly a reptilian pyramid craft without really understanding the engineering or implications of functioning it and running it, overheated its reactor core and nearly crashed it into that highway, nearly crashed it into that road, which is something they train military pilots, because they use helicopter pilots because of the hovering and the 360-degree VTOL-type experience necessary for the piloting of these, um, I call them, um, you know, subsonic UFOs, basically. They have uh, various properties regarding their functionality and their tri- and their locomotion that make them extremely amazing, you know, awesome craft. But uh, they function basically the same as helicopters do when compared to, say, jets or uh, rockets. You know, it's not the same, but they are both flight and they're both aircraft. Now, the overheating of this reactor saw them try to do what they can to dump the overheating cores material fission material the actual exhaust material the the gases the exhaust gases out at before they literally lost the craft right and presumably you know saved their lives in doing so unintentionally as time would have it as luck had it destiny always sees these things when two parties meet on a road at night, right? As Destiny always sees these things. Isn't it odd how the life forces of people will always pull them together like magnets in the middle of fucking nowhere? And that's one of those things that I've noticed to a lot of extent, where you could be the only person in a parking lot or something and somebody will show up and unintentionally be walking right where you are, either because they intended to be there too, and this is like, you know, if you're on a beach by yourself, and it's like not insane to think that someone would come to the beach, but it's, you know, even if you're trying to find like what you thought was only a place you knew, that someone also is there, or that, um, you know, there's just some bullshit that, that sees them show up, you know, and it's one of those things where it's, it's, you could be the only two people in the fucking woods and exactly you'd bump into each other and <laughs> shit like that. It's like you'd have to fucking bump into each other. Um, and it's exactly, you'd be the only person that walked down the street, uh, the only two cars out at night and you guys would both run into each other or some bullshit. And it's just that kind of in, uh, bad luck that people bring with them. And it, exactly, she, it's bad fucking luck, but the r- game was rigged from the start, and she was there at the wrong time, at the wrong place at the wrong time, got a face first of that fucking reptilian power cell exhaust, which is just absolutely anti-life, it's absolutely radiation, it's, it's fucking toxic as hell. And, um, what's funny, what's actually funny about my knowledge of the reptilian ships is that they breed that shit. They love that shit. And their ships 
they 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 blow the exhaust from their reactor cores into their ships as a type of air conditioning because they're reptilians and you just got to understand they live in like radiation radiation and shit they drink like the water from fukushima and and they love that kind of shit and for human beings to have thought they could safely operate a recovered reptilian craft uh, and not understand that everything there is like, you know, it will kill you. It will fucking kill you. It's extremely hostile to human life. Not their lives. They That, that DNA, that physiology responds to it extremely well. In fact, um, on recovery missions and shit like that, a lot of the recovery specialists, the special forces, they have to, um, they have to wear hazmat suits and, like, extreme protective gear to even go inside reptilian ships when they crash or when they're taken down to do any kind of searching or any kind of securing because, like, to do any, like, exactly, as soon as you're there, unless it's completely flushed out with, uh, ventilation and with, uh, shit like that, they, they have that. They actually do spray a lot of like, uh, what was it like that? CO2, NO2 to help cool down and freeze the inside of it because it literally is too hot to touch in a lot of cases. Um, one of the things that's always been described in reptilian ships is that they're, they're kept at like 120 degrees, 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Like it's just it, it, insanely fucking hot inside a reptilian ship. It's like an oven. It literally feels like an oven, and they're just walking around, like, fucking chilling. And exactly, if you would actually understand that uh, the radiation, the background radiation that's causing the heat is even more dangerous than just the heat exhaustion or the dehydration or the heat stroke. Like, it's just filled with gamma rays, it's just filled with, like, a bunch of bad shit, <laughs> like a bunch of x-rays, and they're just, like, basking in it. Exactly, just, they just love it. But yeah, that's that's my theory of what happened in happened there. That is my theory that happened in nineteen eighty in Dayton, Texas. Forty miles outside of Houston on December twenty ninth. And unfortunately it cost the lives. the people who witnessed it but helped solidify and help make mainstream the debate going into the 90s that we're still riding the momentum on and like I said the 1980s was when they were really trying to arm Solar Warden when they were really trying to get Solar Warden up and running and they were working on trying to reverse engineer and incorporate as many exotic crafts as possible into the military, the Earth military, the space military. Texas is the head of that shit. Texas is where that shit is centered, headquartered, research, development, etc. It's all deep in the heart of Texas. It's not Nevada. It's not Utah. It's not California. Though a lot of it's in California. And a lot of it's in Montana. It's kind of generally everywhere. There's little bits of it everywhere. And there's lots of bits of it in more places. The West, say, for example, the East Coast. But it generally is spread out everywhere. 
And that's what people need to realize, that there's really not one place in America without secret space program activity going on somewhere at some time involving some fucking people doing something that they don't want you to know about and will never tell you. And unless you find out for yourself or listen to people who have found out and are able to, you know, piece together the pieces, etc., or have any kind of, like, remote viewing where you can see through walls and see through time, you're never really going to get the answers from these people. There's no white papers. It's all above top secret. It's all black budget and shit. But every state has it. Every state has it. I'm just focusing on Texas because I think Texas is the capital of it. And that's been reported before. I've corroborated that evidence. We have done our research on it. The Royal We, me, myself, and I have done our research on it. And, um, yeah, this is just going to be a short... Uh, article I wanted to read and everything for you guys have it out there um, I'll be doing another ex- episode elaborating on this this is all going into researching the kind of a bigger longer form episode um, possibly for next week about Texas and the different accounts different occurrences there so thank you all very much for tuning in listening to Beyond Top Secret Texan the Beyond Top Secret Texas podcast. Broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast with the most. Gulf Coast of Texas. Thank you all very much. Thank you all very, very much for supporting me. Um, oh, quick quick business announcement. Quick, uh, quick company announcement. LLC announcement. Um, Patreon got discontinued in the platform. This is the first podcast I'm going to be announcing it and everything like that. But moving forward... Uh, no longer going to be having the Patreon. There's no longer patreon.com slash beyond top secret Texan. So you guys will get refunded. You guys will get refunded for this month. Um, don't worry about that. Now you guys can go support. I know it sucks. I hope you guys save the links and everything. I'm trying to he's like, imagine and, and work out a way that still continues the tiers and the exclusivity. But temporarily now, I might have to redo the entire thing and will be offering a lot of the services that used to be exclusive to Patreon. I know a lot of you listeners out there were Patreons. It's exclusive to Patreon to um, everybody. Just as a kind of like, you know, uh, attempt at preserving, you know, into attracting as many supporters as possible. I know that they were exclusive, and I know I kept that evidence exclusive as a reward for people who would be, you know, active supporters and willing to contribute financially to the continuation and the survival of this program. It's not a, it's not to be unappreciative of your guys' support. Absolutely, I'm appreciative of your support. I'm just figuring out the alternatives currently, but I feel that the content that was usually restricted to Patreon access only now deserves, because it's being censored because it's being censored and because exactly those links, everything that was on there is now effectively removed from the internet from any kind of access, right? So instead of it being where no one can see it and because the option that I preferred, which was the, the you know, ticket price for, for my labor, for my research efforts, for my specialty, etc. However humble they may have been. Um, absolutely worth it in my mind. Absolutely great deal for the content I provided. 
now that that's made it impossible for the time being, well, instead of ex resigning and accepting the fact that both those options limit the material to nobody, taking it completely off the board, I choose to make it public and make it free for everybody, moving forward in as many places as possible. This is not a... Like I said, taking advantage of you guys or treating the people who have contributed and supported through Patreon with any unfairness or with any disrespect, but rather opening the doors for a limited time for free access to this information, hopefully growing the Beyond Top Secret Texan supporting family and the supporting groups to a larger and larger circle. And to stand defiantly against censorship. To stand defiantly against the party line, as it were. The restriction of free speech. And the persecution of champions of free speech. By limiting their ability to provide for themselves. Infringing on their inalienable human rights for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And for inciting persecution against them through absolutely bias and unfair rhetoric. Which is akin to hate speech. But people like myself who believe in free speech understand the game. And we know how to play it. As if they shut down one channel, you have to make five more, ten more, etc. And keep upping the ante and keep being the Hydra element. Or if they cut one head off, you just grow two more. And that... While I would have liked to keep that filter, while I like to keep that, that ticket price, you know, being only one dollar, etc. I'm now going to have to make it free. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not... I'm not asking for you guys anything more I'm just saying that yeah I know you guys were very exclusive and, and that was a way for you to show your support etc <laughs> I still appreciate that I'll still remember it <laughs> you guys <coughs> and that's what I'm saying like I know I had the direct message policy for only my Patreons only my supporters it's not that I don't appreciate that it's not that I did disrespect that by making it free but making this content free in the future or at least right now but I hope you guys understand. I, I hope you guys understand. I take the time out to apologize to you guys and everything. As customers, as as a loyal fan base, as supporters, and as regular listeners. Thank you all very much. I've appreciated every single thing that you guys have done for me. He's like, I didn't have any control over the Patreon being taken down. Um, your monthly contrib contributions will be refunded, you know, everything by Patreon themselves. So. But we will make it free. We will make the Telegram free. I'll be advertising that. I know those links were exclusive. We're making the Telegram group free. We'll be making the um, merch discounts free. We'll be making the um, exclusive file and folder of UFO photographs and deep state evidence free. We'll be making um, 
all the updates and posts free, as well as making direct messaging, etc., on that Telegram, free to free to all that want to join and want to support. Moving forward, right now for options on how to support me, how to how to help contribute everything during um, times of persecution for people of you know rationality and sanity, uh, people who are still focused on the truth and still focused on you know real life that. Cash App. Cash App is my preference, and it's going to be uh, beyond top secret text in all one word, lowercase, on Cash App. Also, I have a PayPal. Look me up on there. But I prefer the Cash App. The Cash App is very simple and direct deposits to my account, etc. And like I said before, anything would help. I keep it real, so only ask for a dollar. And then, you know, absolutely will appreciate all um, questions or comments afterwards. Give you guys the directions to all my links, etc. As well as um, keep you in the loop, as it were, in those Telegram groups for all my activities coming up in the 2022 calendar year. So this is going to be a short episode. Just wanted to read you guys that article, give you guys a heads up on the business, what happened, the events. I know a lot of you guys are asking yourself what happened to the Patreon, etc. That's what happened to the Patreon. Got too real for him. Um, obviously, Western and NATO propagandists are, are politicos, deep state type bullshit because I support RT, RT America, and I support... Um, the Russian cause during this uh, bullshit denazification in the Ukraine and um, I'm not buying into their propaganda bullshit, I'm not buying into their their horseshit, you know, not for one second and I also posted Europa and I'm pretty sure that helped too, but who knows because they didn't really give me an excuse, they didn't give me a real reason, they just said it was this vague and it was sudden, it was over a couple of days but you know, we'll survive we'll survive Beyond Top Secret Texan will survive. So thank you all very much. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Peace out. God bless your families.